Good morning. If you're visiting, as the first screen said, we are in Genesis, preaching through Genesis, and the series is entitled Creation, Culture, and Christ. I'm going to add one word to that, uh, but I'll do it next time, So, and it'll make sense, and I'll explain why, but not today. So uh, we are in Genesis 6, 9 through 17, titled Living Among a Crooked Generation. me open up by reading and praying. And the text is on the screen if you want to follow along with me. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among his contemporaries. Noah walked with God. Noah fathered three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with wickedness. God saw how corrupt the earth was, for every creature had corrupted its way on the earth. Then God said to Noah, I have decided to put an end to every creature, for the earth is filled with wickedness because of them. Therefore, I'm going to destroy them along with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it with a pitch inside and outside. This is how you are to make it. The ark will be 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. You are to make a roof, finishing the sides of the ark to within 18 inches of the roof. You are to put a door in the side of the ark, make it with lower, middle, and upper decks. Understand that I am bringing a flood, flood waters on earth to destroy every creature under heaven With the breath of life in it, everything on earth will perish. My Heavenly Father, uh, God, uh, so many times in prayer, uh, I ask you to bless me. I ask you to bless us. And Lord, I pray today that the preaching of your word and the response to it, Lord, would bless you. That we would bless your name. As the scriptures tell us, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, and that was Jesus Christ, our Savior, who died for our sins and rose from the dead. And as a song we just sang, not not through me, but in Christ, none of our salvation is because of us, who we are, who we were, who we will be. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, the mighty and sufficient work of Christ alone. So God, I pray that we would bless his name. And we will bless the Holy Trinity as we preach this morning, God. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. If, if you recall, we're here for the beginning of our series. might have been the introduction to the series of Genesis. I, I said that it would be better to read sections of Genesis by the phrase that we see in verse 9. These are the generations. Then reading it by chapter divisions or subtitle inscriptions. If we, were do, if we were to do so, the last section, beginning in chapter 5, started with the genealogy of Adam and ended with Noah and his sons, who we see are living among a depraved society and it's full scale. Which means it's not, it's not just a few random people on earth who are living immorally, but rather it's the entire population of mankind. Therefore, 
God announced a cataclysmic judgment that is going to remove humanity from the earth. And for that matter, he says he's, he also declared that he's going to destroy anything and everything that has the breath of life in it. In verse 8, the end of the section left humanity, of 8, chapter 6, left humanity with hope, as it told us, but Noah, only Noah, found favor from God. And God is going to spare him and his family from perishing with the rest of creation. And we concluded last week that Noah's favor from God is due to the grace of God. In relation to our sermon series, Creation, Culture, and Christ, today's text, it should present a great contrast between a culture who has rejected God and those who walk with Him. And that distinction is comparable to what Christians are currently living among today. It's the same. Same then as it was, or same now as it was then. And, and Augustine told us that that should not be a surprise, as he wrote in the city of God, who said it falls out that in this world, in evil days like these, the church, that's us, walks onward like a wayfarer, stricken by the world's hostility, Stricken by the world's hostility, but comforted by the mercy of God. Nor does this state of affairs date only to the days of Christ and his apostles' presence on earth. It was never any different from the days when the first man, Abel, was slain by his ungodly brother. So it shall be until this world is no more. In other words, as he compares the two worlds... Two cities, if you will, Augustine, that is. What he's saying, he's telling us that, that every generation, no matter the, what generation, what timeline historically they live in, they're no different. They're not different than the days Christ lived in. They're not different than the days Noah lived in. For man has always set his heart against God and his people. So therefore, as King Solomon said, there's culture being opposed to God is nothing new under the sun. So the, we find ourselves today in the same set of circumstances without the flood coming, judgment's coming, but it's not the flood. But we find ourselves in the, in the same situation or society as those who walk with God through a world that's opposed to him. And the expectations that were put on Noah and the apostles and those who walked with God are the same expectations for us. They remain the same. So therefore, we will focus today on Noah's relationship with God and his relationship with the society he lived among, and we'll draw our application from there. And I, I don't know if I need to give clarity, but just, 
I better do it anyway. The message of the sermon, it's not, it's not to be more like Noah. It's always to be Christ-like, always, okay? So we're not, we're not trying to just imitate Noah. We want to be like Christ. But there's things that we see about Noah in his relationship to the world, in his relationship with God, that we can draw application from and that points us to Christ. So as the title implies, today's focus will be how to live among a crooked generation. Point number one, live beyond reproach. Verses 9 through 10, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among his contemporaries. Noah walked with God. There's three ways Noah's described here in verse 9. He was righteous, he was blameless, and he walked with God. And that's, that's a direct contrast between him and his contemporaries. So we'll start with Noah being righteous. What does that mean? Because righteous can mean a few things in the Bible. Biblically speaking, the word righteous, it, it does have multiple meanings. For instance, righteous can have a judicial sense, as in a person being declared righteous or innocent by a judge. It, just, it, it carries that connotation, or it can carry that connotation, like a person in court who's awaiting the verdict, awaiting the judge's sentence or declaration, and they're declared innocent. And so, biblically speaking, when, when God declares a man or a person righteous, he's, he's recognizing them as innocent. God recognizing man as innocent. Right there, we should recognize the gospel because it is only through the death and resurrection of Christ that we are acknowledged or declared righteous and innocent. The reason that is possible is because our sins were paid for by the blood of Christ. And so our guilt has been removed. And now we are righteous in God's sight. We are innocent in God's sight. But in no way, shape, or form is that declaration of innocence, is it due to our own righteousness, or our own works, or our own deeds. The righteousness we have, the Bible tells us, was given to us by Christ. It belongs to Him. Our righteousness belongs to Him. He gave it to us. He chose to substitute His righteousness with our sin. That's what took place on the cross. We received his reward as a result for him receiving our punishment. So, and so now God can declare us righteous. He can declare us innocent because there's no crimes left to punish because Christ was punished for them all. He, he received our penalty in full. And now he can 
Jesus, stand before the throne of God as an advocate for us and declare our innocence and our righteousness. We sing, we sing that song. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. Loved one, if you're, if you're looking for someone to plead your case before God, may I suggest that the only person capable of doing that successfully is Christ. That's it. Now, another biblical definition of righteous, which I'll suggest is how it's being used here, means that a person is just. As in they, they are a morally upstanding individual. They're never impartial. And they're considered honorable and trustable in all their dealings and actions. That's how Noah's being described here. His, his righteous, him being righteous, it refers to his character, which we might add is the exact opposite of his contemporaries, or if that's just a weird word to say, society, the people living in his time, the people he lives with during that time are his contemporaries. Verse 11 tells us that the society he lives among is completely corrupt. And corruption is the exact opposite of justice. Quote Augustine again. He, said, he asked, what are kingdoms without justice? And he gives the answer, they're just gangs of bandits. They're schemers. They don't balance the scales equally. They're devoted to injustices because, quite frankly, they don't care who it affects as long as it doesn't affect them and it benefits them. And among Noah's contemporaries, the evilness of injustice is, of injustice is a trademark of Noah's society. I think about what the text is telling us. There's nobody else outside of Noah in his family who's walking with God, who's righteous and blameless. No one throughout the entire population of humanity, no one else can be found. We think we have it bad with the people we live with and disagree with us. Noah didn't have a single friend in that regard. Not one person was going to the voting booth with him and casting the same vote. And yet, how did he live? The way that he lived among this depraved culture was honorably. He judged situations with integrity and an, and an equal balance. He, he didn't take advantage of a, per, of a person or a situation that would benefit him if it meant that it would hurt someone else. He couldn't be bought off, and, and there, was just, there was no price, no amount that he would sell his soul for. He was an honest man in a world that had completely lost that virtue. Loved ones, how, how we live among a corrupted society matters 
to God. No matter the circumstance, no matter the situation we find ourselves in, no matter what our enemies do to us, we are to live in such a way that honors Christ. So it means when we're reviled, persecuted, mocked, tormented by the actions of our culture like Lot is in Sodom and Gomorrah, our response is that the Lord calls us to act righteously, honorably, just, to be just. And Noah... He did, he was, he lived blameless in a society, in his society, and so should we. And it says, it says, Noah was blameless. And just like the word righteous, blameless also has multiple meanings. We must note, while blameless can mean and does mean to be without sin, it doesn't hear. Noah was not without sin, and, and we have to affirm that here, because there was only one man who was ever without sin, and that's Christ Jesus. Here, it's conveying the notion, blameless is conveying the notion that Noah was wholesome and complete. To be wholesome means to, to have a Godward compass in all of our thoughts and our deeds, our thoughts, not just our deeds, which, which we spoke about last week, because then it means if we're going to be wholesome and complete in our thoughts, then we can't allow sin any real estate up there. Every, every situation of our lives is, is centered around what pleases God. And, and those who, who want to live blameless lives must live and die by the written code that says, thus saith the Lord. And, 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 and when we do, when we, when we live a life, not, 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 not stumbling, when we live a life blameless, our hearts, the result of that, the result of living blameless is that our hearts they don't condemn us with guilt. Because the only time our hearts do condemn us is when we're living in a way that we know is not blameless. And, 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 and that's, that's not a reference to just those just completely living a life entrenched in sin. I'm referring to the moments when we have that secret relationship with something that we know the Lord disapproves of. By secret, I mean we're the only ones who know about it. Every time we commit this act, our hearts are just saturated with guilt. We grieve the Spirit. We're not called to that. Called, we're commanded not to do that. And Jesus, he preaches on this, on, on to be blameless and to be whole. It's even the exact same word in Greek. And Jesus preaches 
from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 48, be complete, therefore, as your heavenly Father is complete. Or you may know the translation is be perfect, for your heavenly Father is perfect. I think be complete, be whole, like your Father in heaven is, is helpful, more helpful than be perfect. Be complete like your Father in heaven is. It's where we really have to dig deep and consider what is Jesus saying. I love it because it gives us an opportunity to understand the main objective from the Sermon on the Mount, which is to show us that being complete is not simply a matter of external deeds. Being complete is a matter, it's an inward condition. Right? The Lord doesn't care. I'm using that loosely. The Lord doesn't care about us being dirty on the outside if on the inside we're filthy. So when Jesus says, You've heard, shall not murder. But I tell you, if so much you even hate your brother, you're guilty of murder. You've heard do not commit adultery, but I tell you, if you even lust over a woman, you're guilty of committing adultery. What's his point? The point is that a person is not innocent of murder or adultery all because they've never committed the physical act. Because even though that may be the case, his point is, you've still committed all of those sins, all of those sins in your thoughts and deeds. You've committed those sins by lusting after them in your heart. And therefore, you're guilty. You're guilty of murder. You're guilty of adultery through your anger and lust. I mean, we're guilty because of our thoughts and deeds. If, if, if we go back to the reason why God is going to flood the earth, it, it, it doesn't just say because of the evil acts they physically committed. Remember last week, the text says because their thoughts and their hearts were always inclined to do evil. So if you want to be complete as Christ commands us to, then you must become obedient to submitting to him in your thoughts as well as your actions. Yeah, I mean, this is, <laughs> that's, that's where Christianity and its application just becomes absolutely impossible without the divine work of the Holy Spirit. It's easy to, as a non-Christian to be portrayed as an upstanding citizen. It's easy as a Christian to be portrayed as an upstanding citizen or, or to appear to everyone else like we have it all together. And by the world standards, maybe you do. But you cannot fool God with the secret sins that wage within your heart. This is, that's, it's precisely what Jesus condemned the Pharisees for, right? Jesus is not against religion or good works. 
There's some confusion there. What Jesus was against and what he condemns the Pharisees and, and, and those religious people for was thinking that their religion and their good deeds was the only thing that mattered, just looking clean on the outside. And Jesus says, no, I don't care about you being clean on the outside because inwardly you're dark, you're filthy, you're wretched. That's what I have come here for. Those who are sick are in need of the physician. We're all sick. Richard Sieb says, partial obedience and temporary obedience is not obedience. Partial obedience and temporary obedience is not obedience. Our obedience, he says, must be impartial, universal, and constant because God commands it to be so. Our obedience cannot just be outward actions. It has to be inward transformation. Psalm 51, Lord, create within me a clean heart. Why is David asking the Lord for that in prayer? Because he knows that his heart is not clean. He knows he wants to sin. And the Bible, the psalm, anticipates that every single one of us can relate to that even as Christians. We to need a clean heart because there's times that we want to sin. And in that moment, we go before the Lord as David said, Lord, create within me a clean heart. I see, confession of sin is not just, Lord, this is what I've done, but Lord, this is what I want to do. I need you. I need you every hour. Just understanding the depth of our own sin in our own hearts and the realization of the utter failure that we have lived a life even close to being worthy to pleasing God. That realization reveals the glory of Christ and the necessity of for his accomplishment on the cross. Blameless means wholesome in Genesis 6. But it also means to be without blemish. To be without sin. And in the New Testament to be without blemish. Or to be blameless is to be without sin. But like Noah we aren't. Right? Of course, in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul says that we are. So the Bible says you're not blameless, and the Bible says you are blameless. It's just how can this be? How can a person who clearly is a sinner be considered to be without sin? And if you're in Christ, those are both true. You're a sinner. And yet, God declares you, in Christ, to be without sin. Paul explains how. Colossians 1.22. Jesus reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to what? Why did Jesus die, Paul? 
In order to present us holy, we're not, and blameless, we're not, and above reproach, we're not, before him. Jesus died in order to present us as him, holy, blameless, above reproach, without sin, to present us before the throne of God as righteous and innocent, without sin. the gospel it's christ crucified the the son of god came down from heaven to become flesh so that he might be nailed to the cross in your place the gospel is jesus going to the cross so that you don't have to that's why we preach christ crucified every single sunday because absent the cross there is no way in which christ can present you blameless and the sooner sinners find that there is nowhere else to go for the forgiveness of sins hopefully prayerfully they will run to the only one who is able to remove them which that's that's application for noah and that application for noah is the same for us flee from wrath and run to christ and that act of, of, of fleeing condemnation and entering into salvation or, or, or being forgiven for sins, is, it's an act of faith, done completely by faith. So our, our final point, act by faith when God speaks. I probably should have worded that differently. And basically, that means when God makes a promise, believe it and act on it. I mean, verses 11 through 17, I, I won't read them all. I'll read a few. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with wickedness. God saw it. Verse 17, so he told Noah, understand I'm bringing a flood, flood waters on the earth to destroy every creature under heaven with the breath of life in it. Everything on earth will perish. But you, Noah, make an ark, and I will spare you and your family. It's pretty straightforward. Due to the increasing amount of corruption on the earth, God warned Noah that he's going to annihilate every living creature he ever created. I mean, think about it. when we read that term, the breath of life, it is the Spirit of God who gives life to everything that breathes. And he's going to take the breath from it. Noah, the world has become a world of godlessness. Every creature is corrupted by sin. The world is a unified perversion, unlike anything I created it to be. And therefore, this planet is about to experience an event that it's never experienced before, and we'll read soon that it'll never experience again. But no, I'm going to wipe out every life form on this planet. And that includes everything with the breath of life. That's a promise. 
The first promise was wrath. God told Noah two things. One, wrath is coming, but there's another promise that God makes to Noah, and that's the promise of life. The promise of life. Honestly, the more I study this passage, just could not get away from the, from the idea that you just you can't get any closer to a correlation to the gospel than the story of Noah. Because the premise is the same. Noah is told to flee from wrath and entrust his life into the hands of God, into the care of God. For Noah, the provision was the ark. For us, our provision is Christ. And Noah believed God. Therefore, he built the ark to escape the coming disaster. <laughs> What's unbelievable is that no one else, not one, bar outside of his family, on the entire planet joined him. Nobody stopped what they were doing to consider their wickedness or let alone turn from it. Not one. Not one of them. Enter the ark with Noah. And therefore, the author of Hebrews in the New Testament says, with the construction of the ark, Noah condemned the world. How? Because it was their unbelief regarding what God had told Noah that condemned them. It was their unbelief in God's provision for life. And those who refuse to enter the ark, those who refuse to enter God's means for salvation, gave evidence of their unbelief. The same is true regarding faith in Christ. John three sixteen through 18. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world would be saved through him. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. It's the same between the gospel of John and, and well, the gospel of Noah, if you will. Jesus is the message of salvation to be received by faith. And here in Genesis 6, our passage for today, the ark is the message of quote-unquote salvation to be received by faith. Because it, the ark was a testimony that God's judgment was coming. It was a testimony to the world around Noah, to the people living sinful, wicked lives. Judgment is coming. Noah, what is that humongous boat that's taking off all the space? You're, what are you doing? Oh, preparing for God's judgment. Whatever. Silly. There's no God. Nobody cared. 
Instead, what the Bible tells us is instead of turning from their wickedness and turning to God, they went on their merry way and did whatever was right in their own eyes. Jesus actually uses this specific story about a warning or warning us concerning the final days before he returns. He says, every single person has an opportunity to flee the coming wrath. But like the days of Noah, nobody's going to be paying attention. Matthew 24. <laughs> they, Lord, what are the end of days going to be like? Well, just like the days of Noah were. Just like the days of Noah were, so the coming of the Son of Man will be. For in those days before the flood, people were eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage. Until the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing until the flood came and took them all away. It will be the same at the coming of the Son of Man. It's puzzling, really. How someone can be so reluctant to even consider what the gospel of Jesus is actually teaching. And even more so, it may just be just as bewildering that once, even if they are told, how in the world are they still so apathetic to the reality of what's coming? In, in Matthew 24, Jesus answers that. He says the reluctance to believe is the same for, for, for our society as it was for Noah's. They simply don't care. They go on living the American dream without ever giving a second thought that one day when Christ returns, they are going to wake up from that dream and at that point, their reality is going to be a nightmare. Jesus warns us, don't be like them. Be prepared for my return. For the day I will return will be like a thief in the night, and it'll be a day that nobody expects. It'll be just like the days of Noah, and those who don't flee the wrath to come will all perish under God's righteous anger. I had a family member in 2021 who passed away. My last gospel conversation with them, which they read the Bible pretty much every day of their life, went to church every week. And before they died, I asked, well, how? We had arguments about salvation and about Christ. And I said, well, how, would you, how do you know you would be able to enter heaven? How do you know God's going to accept you? And the response was, well, I hope they expect me, and you know, I've tried to obey their, his commands. And I said, well, but, but the New Testament, the gospel teaches that, that we still need our sins forgiven. We still need to be declared righteous, and by God, and, and the only way that you will be accepted and declared righteous is, is, is through the death 
and resurrection of Christ, that, that Christ gives us his righteousness. And the response was, I don't believe that. Ironically, the person went to bed one night where they read their Bible for about an hour. And before they got into their bed, they dropped dead on the floor. The Lord took the breath of life. Maybe that person repented and believed, and I don't know about it in those last hours. But if not, they've woken up to a new reality, into a holding cell, temporarily, knowing that they rejected the Son of God. And there's nothing, nothing they can do about that any longer. Wake up if you don't know Jesus. My daughter asked me the other night, are we going to be sad to be in heaven without the people that we love that didn't believe? Scriptures say that even God doesn't delight in the death of the wicked. Somehow, in every one of God's decisions, he is still just. And we will even agree. And I don't know how to understand that at this moment. We're not here to build earthly kingdoms. We are here to plead to people to repent and turn from the coming judgment. And forgiveness is free. They don't have to do anything except entrust their salvation to the cross of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Noah, again, if you will, proclaimed that the ark was the only way that God provided to preserve life and avoid judgment. There was only one, and their safety was based upon faith to act on that, to respond to God's word. And, and the connection between the ark and the gospel is found in the message of Christ who proclaims, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody can come to the Father except through me. Jesus says, I am the ark. It's therefore, by faith, we believe and we act upon the promise that the only provision God has provided our, for our salvation is through Jesus Acts 4.12 says, there is no other name on heaven or 
on earth that a man can call upon in order to be saved. One of my professors uh, retired a few years ago from the seminary I went to. I'll end on this story. When I showed up to his class for my final semester of seminary, which had been about five and a half years, I think it took me, he, he, he always called out role in class. I had him, I think, my second semester. I had him my final semester. When, it, when he got to my name, he, he, he's reading his list, and he goes, Sobitz, well, you've been here for a while. I said, everyone laughed just like that. And I said, yes, sir, but this is my last semester. <laughs> he said, you think it is, but you haven't passed this class yet. I told him, that's okay. I've already checked. I can fail this class and still walk at graduation if I take an easy summer class. He said, ah, so you've got a contingency plan. I said, yes, sir. And I'll never forget what he said next. He said, well, there is no contingency plan with the Lord. Jesus is the only way. Let us pray. Lord, I don't, I don't have words, so inwardly, I will let the Spirit speak in my place. You know what we need, you know what your people need, you know what this community needs. We ask you for that. We ask you to take the hearts, take the hearts opposed to you. Turn them to you. Give us courage not to just live lives that honor Christ, but to tell people about Christ, to invest in them. We ask that you would spare them from judgment because we too once sinned not knowing what we were doing. And we pray that you would forgive their ignorance. And their unbelief.